So I'm going to entitle this series until we get to Galatians, The Journey of the Christ Life. You say, why didn't you say Christian life? Well, there's a reason. The Journey of the Christ Life. Jesus be Jesus in me, no longer me but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus be Jesus in me. That's the Christian life. It is Christ. It's all about Christ living in us and through us. And so we're going to look at a familiar passage. It's been freshly studied and prayerfully it will be fresh to you today. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We did 2 Corinthians several years ago. <clears throat> this morning we're going to go back to just one passage. 2 Corinthians <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 2, verse 12 through chapter 3 and verse 5. And while you're turning, let me get a bottle of water. There's a bottle of water right there. <laughs> Diana gave it to me, so I don't know what's in this thing. <clears throat> Got a little bit of trouble. Are y'all having trouble? Same thing? <clears throat> Figured. Ah, oh, what's in there? <clears throat> Isn't it fun to be together? All right, let me get you into this. <clears throat> Today I want to approach it from the subject, do we get it? <laughs> the journey of the Christ life, do we get it? Do we understand the Christ life? I agree with whoever said, and it, it wasn't me, but I agree with it, <clears throat> the lessons that I find the hardest to learn are the ones I thought I already knew. Isn't that amazing? How we think we've got something in our minds, we quickly move to something else and we haven't even understood what we thought we had. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said this. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And that's in the present tense. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. To write the same things, again, is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. You see, it's not about us possessing truth intellectually, and sometimes we can grasp it quickly mentally, but it's about letting that truth that we intellectually understand possess us in our daily lives. The truth of the Christ life, Jesus being Jesus in us, living his life through us, it's only learned as it's lived. For the next several weeks, we're going to look into the journey of the Christ life as I, as I shared. And so today, let's take all the books off the desk, just like those teachers made you do that you didn't like. And some of them will not be in heaven, <laughs> no. Take all the books off your desk, and let's take out a clean sheet of paper, and let's just see this morning from this text if we understand the Christ life. Do we really understand it? We've heard it and heard it, and heard it, and heard it. But do we really understand it? If we do, from this text, and we're going to be looking at a lot of text over the next several weeks, even through Palm Sunday and, and Resurrection Sunday, but from this text, there are four things that are evidences that we do get it, that we are enjoying the journey with him, that our lives are filled with the fact that we know that we can't, but he can. Now, Four different things that I want you to see. First of all is this. If we get it, if we get it, then we are not pursuing ministry today. We are pursuing him. Ministry is pursuing us. We're not pursuing ministry. Ministry is pursuing us. When you grasp the Christ life, once it gets a hold of you, not just in understanding, but in, in your life, you realize that ministry is received from Christ, not achieved for Christ. Ministry comes to us as we learn to pursue him. It's, it's a lifelong pursuit. It's not an arrival. It's, it's, a, it's a pursuit until we see him one day. 
and ministry is that which he allows us to join him in. In verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 2, now you know that the church of Corinth it was not a pleasant place in 1 Corinthians. In fact, in the city of, of, of or in, the, in the state of Michigan, there's a city called hell. <laughs> there really is. And 10 miles from that city, I understand something like that is the city called Paradise. I was in Truth and Consequences, New Mexico, and a man said, I know where that is. Everybody's moving out of Paradise into hell because the jobs are better. Had no idea what he just said. Can you imagine? Matter of fact, Fox News did a program on it and they had fire trucks that had, we put out fires in hell. Right. Can you imagine somebody asking you, where are you from? Hell. <laughs> I was at Southwestern Seminary and you're speaking to the chapel there and all those students and I'm thinking, wouldn't it be interesting <laughs> if the first church they were assigned to was the First Baptist Church of Hell? <laughs> Where do you pastor? First Baptist Church, Hell. <laughs> My problem is I've been to that church and it wasn't in Michigan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but if you ask the Apostle Paul which church is measured to that kind of standard, he would say probably the church of Corinth would be on that list. And it says in verse, but 2 Corinthians is different. 2 Corinthians, they have repented and they've come back to Christ and they've, they now respect the Apostle Paul for his leadership in the church. And what it says in verse 12 of chapter 2, and it's a whole different flavor of 2 Corinthians. He says, now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and when a door was opened for me in the Lord. Now that little phrase, the gospel of Christ, means the good news, that's the word gospel, and then it puts the definite article in front of the word Christ, the gospel of the Christ. The gospel of the Christ to the Jews, that's their Messiah. They just don't understand it. The gospel of the Christ. I love that. Paul's whole passion was to share the good news of Jesus, the Christ, everywhere he would go. When he got to Troas, verse 12 says, a door was opened for me in the Lord. Now that's in the perfect tense, the passive voice, which means that God has already gone before him. God was already there in Troas in the sense that a, a ministry to the people of Troas was waiting on Paul to get there. It's incredible. God had opened and prepared the hearts of the people to be receptive to the gospel of the Christ. What a great encouragement to us. Ministry is not about us opening doors and making it happen, but it's all about God opening doors for us and, and our walking through and joining him on what he is up to. God opening doors for Paul was the pattern of his life. You say, well, Wayne, you cannot take that verse and build a principle off of it. That happened there, yes. But you can't, yes, we can. Look in Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, because that's not the only time you see this in Paul's life. He's returning from his first missionary journey. And look what it says, Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. It says, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them, and watch, and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Then look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 to 9. Paul is telling them that he's going to stay in Ephesus for a while until Pentecost, and he tells them why. He says in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 16, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries, and it might be something to stick in, the, in my hat, to, my, my brain to remember whenever God opens a door, there are many adversaries. Look in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. He's in prison 
Now, we see him after his return from his first missionary journey. We see that he's going to stay over here at Ephesus in 1 Corinthians 16. But in Colossians 4, 3, he's in prison. And look, look what he writes. He says, pray, pray for us. He says, praying at the same time for us as well. Pray for us, Paul said, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have also been in prison. This was the pattern of Paul's life. He enjoyed the journey. He got it. He understood when he tried to get into this place, the Holy Spirit stopped him. He tried to get in this place, the Holy Spirit stopped him, and the Holy Spirit takes him down here. God was all over Paul. Sometimes he was aware, sometimes he wasn't. But God was opening the doors for Paul. And listen, there's nothing wrong with strategizing anything. We plan our way, but God directs our steps. It's God who opens and shuts doors, as we learn in the letter to the church of Philadelphia in, in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. It says, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. That's a beautiful thing. And it's repeated in, in verse 8. He says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one, no one can shut. So this morning, if we really understand the journey, if we really get the message of the Christ life. Listen, there are other things in Scripture, but this is the well everything has to come out of because this is the new covenant of grace. Under law, it's up to me. Under grace, it's up to him as we learn to trust him daily in our life. So if we really understand it, then we're pursuing him and not, and ministry is pursuing us. You're living with good news in our heart. We're living with good news in our heart understanding and knowing that God goes before us. He opens the doors to what he wants to do in our lives. One of my favorite stories is of one of my favorite people that's in heaven now, and that's with Dr. Spiro Silviades. When he first came to the church, literally he scared me half to death. He really thought I knew something, and I'm dumb as a box of hair, and he, he, did, he saw that right off. <laughs> it didn't take him long to figure that out. He asked me one day, he said, Wayne, let me give you a little, little bit of an earlier story to that. Before I came here, I was in a church, and somebody said, you ought to be on radio. I wish nobody ever said that to me because I began to get a little bit of a big head, and I'm going to get on radio. Somehow, I'm going to get on radio. And so did you realize how expensive radio is? And when you do get on it with all the key people that are speaking on it, they give you a time at 3 o'clock in the morning where at least four people are listening when, when the program goes on. It's amazing. And so I finally just gave up, laid it down, and said, Radio, forget it. I'm not going about that. So anyway, Dr. Zodiac, I come to Woodland Park. Dr. Zodiac comes, and he said, Wayne, I'd like for you to, to help me do my radio program, New Testament Light. I said, Dr. Zodiac, I couldn't come close to being understandable on, on the program with you. I mean, we're not, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm trying to tell him I'm, I'm dumb. I, I don't understand everything like you do. He says, no, 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 I want you to do it. So he said, let's practice for about six months, and then we'll see. I said, that, that sounds good to me. I'll, I'll practice with you. So I went over, cameras, all the different things, and I was scared half to death. Matter of fact, if you ever heard the program, I'm the one saying, is that right? I didn't know that. <laughs> well, several months into it, uh, we're still supposed to be practicing. I was going to Dayton, Ohio, to do a meeting, and he said, uh, why don't I told him, I said, pray for me. I'm going to Dayton to do a meeting. He said, uh, well, why don't you call the radio station and tell them you're there? And I said, why would I call the radio station? They don't know me. 
He said, you've been on their program for four months. I said, you told me we were practicing. He said, not only are you on that one, you're on 700 stations nationwide. I said, do what? Incredible to me how God does it. You know what? Most of the time, we don't believe that. Because we think God's not on time. He's, he's slow as he can be. So we're going to have to help him out, and we're going to do it ourselves, buddy. We're going to come up with something. God certainly is going to bless it. Not the way the Christian life works. No, sir. We never pursue ministry. We pursue Christ. Ministry pursues us. And whatever it is God wants us to be a part of, we get to join him in what he's doing. That's when you get it. That's the characteristic of people who get it. But not only that, secondly, relationships are precious to us. When we're overflowing with the good news of Christ, who not only saved us, but come to live in us, relationships become the most significant focus of our lives. I'm so grateful to get older because in the years now that God has given us and, and the years, years in ministry, relationships are more important to me now than they ever have been before. But God has to tenderize our hearts towards other people. In 2 Corinthians 2.13, look at what he says. I had no rest for my spirit. Now here he is with an open door of ministry in front of him. He says, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. What? Do you mean Paul would walk away from an open door of ministry? Are you kidding me? What's he thinking? God has opened the door. Why would he leave it? There are two things in play here that concern the relationships that God had given to Paul and the heart that he had for those people. First of all, was his tremendous burden for the Corinthian believers. You see, he had wanted to know how they had received a letter that he had written to them. In fact, it was a pretty tough letter, and sent it by Titus. Now, Paul had received some disturbing news about the church of Corinth, probably from Timothy. And he, he wanted to to go there, but he chose not to go. And by matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, he says, to spare you, I wrote you a letter. There's no telling what he would have done if he had gone. He must have written a scalding letter. The people were spiritually uh, deceived by false doctrine, and they were fragmented because of it. And, and evidently, his a hard letter. Well, he wanted to know how they had received it. I personally believe there were four letters to the Corinthians. One's mentioned in 1 Corinthians, says that the letter I, I have written to you before, we don't have that. And this is one I think is the third one that, that caused the writing of 2 Corinthians. I don't think this letter that we're talking about is 1 Corinthians. I think there's another one in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. But whatever the, the, part, the thing there, Paul had an appropriate time to meet, appointed time to meet with, with Titus in Troas. So he gets there. God's opened a door of ministry for him, but Titus didn't show up. Travel in those days was, was very risky to start with. But not only that, he had to go. He had to go out of concern for the Corinthians that he loved, but also in concern for Titus. Where is he? He had to go to Macedonia. The one thing that must have encouraged Paul that he could walk away from an open door in ministry is what, what we read in the book of Revelation chapter 3 when it says, God opens doors and no man can close it. And if you know the history of Paul, he did go back to Troas and he did have a ministry there. So when relationships come into play, that's much more important to God than what we sometimes call ministry. Paul's going was not on a whim. He was going led of the Spirit of God. Matter of fact, you're going to see this in the next couple of verses that come up. So relationships matter when Jesus is being Jesus in us. And if we get it, if we understand it, then ministry will come to us. 
people will be precious to us. And that doesn't start out there. That starts right here. I love the statement again that Bill Brown shared with us on our missions conference. The most important person in regards to the ministry God has given to you is the person right in front of you at the moment. And they become precious to you. I remember one year I wanted to, to go to South Africa. And I was over in, in, uh, with Diana in Vienna, Austria, at the International Congress on Revival. And a man from South Africa, I love the way they say it. It's just like, you have to listen to him. It's not fair. And this guy was sitting across the table and says, Wayne, can you come to South Africa? Can you come to South Africa? I was saying, yes, I can come to South Africa. I can come to South Africa. And he wanted me to come in August or whatever time of the year. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. When I get back, I'll call you and we'll set it up. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, I can't wait. So I get home and I wait about a month and a half and one day the phone rings and when I picked it up, it was that voice. It was that voice. And I knew I was grabbing my calendar at the same time. And we got on the phone. He says, Wayne, can you come in August? I can come in August. Can you stay three weeks? I can stay four weeks. if you want. I, mean, I was so excited about going to South Africa. And he went on and on. And boy, I was writing dates down trying to figure out when all this stuff. And my precious wife, I didn't know, had walked into my study there at the house. And I heard somebody crying. If you really know Diana, you know that she doesn't cry unless it's important. I cry at commercials. But she was really broken up, and she was crying. And she had been through a lot of health problems. Many of you don't even understand what she's been through in her life. And so she was saying, Wayne, I, I don't want you to go. I don't think, yeah, I've gotten the words, but I don't think I can, I can handle it with you being gone. I've got my hand over the phone. Here's ministry to South Africa. Over here, here's the Spirit of God saying to me, the most important person to you right now is your wife. Not the people in South Africa. Your wife, right here. And if it doesn't work at home, it will never work outside these walls. And I remember saying to him, you know, sir, I'm sorry. I've miscalculated. I'm not going to be able to come. I tried to explain to him, but in reality, he almost hung up on me. Well, several years went by. And uh, Harold Pisa, remember Harold Pisa, South Africa? He came and he said, Wayne, it's time for you to come to South Africa different man. By the way, I found out, had I gone with the other guy, it would have ruined any ministry I could have had doctrinally in that country. I didn't know where this other guy was. I went, got with Diane and we prayed, yes, it's time. And what God opened up, it's incredible. I've been to South Africa 13 times. I've been to Zimbabwe four times, Uganda three times, Australia five times, all out of waiting upon the Lord. Because the thing that was most important was not out there. It was at home. And people become precious to you. And it starts there. If it's not going to start there, it's not going to be out here. You've got to start there. And so what, what happens when we know that when God opens a door, he'll keep it open, and there'll be a timing that we can join him in it. Ministry will come to us. We don't pursue ministry. It comes to us. People will be precious to us, especially those that are, that are right around us. And then thirdly, the world will be aware of Christ in us. In verse 14 of chapter 2, he says, But thanks be to God, who always, look at this, leads us, he's always leading, in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Leads us in triumph, uses the word bavo, which means to lead in triumph, but it points to a Roman picture that is a clear word picture for us to understand. It's used in Colossians 2.15, which even brings it even more clearer. It says in verse 15 of Colossians 2, 
when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Using a little different context there, but you get the picture. Picture in your mind a Roman triumphal procession. And Rome has gone out and there's been a victory and 5,000 enemy has been killed and land has been added to Rome. And the council there had decided, yes, we can have a processional. And so the women would get together and take sweet spices and it would just fill the air and they would put flower petals on the road and, and the horses that would come down the road would step on those flower petals and there was just a sweet aroma in the air. You could just smell it. If people said, wow, there's been a victory. There's been a victory. The sweet aroma of victory. And so the people would line the streets and here they would come, the whole army behind. But here came the, the, the chariot filled with spoils of war. And here comes the general's chariot. The people start cheering way down there. You know where he is. And he's got a white robe on, embroidered with gold. He's got a, a, a wreath on his head and he's got a, a scepter in his hand. And he's riding down through there. And chained to his chariot are the generals he has conquered in war that would be taken to the Colosseum and put to death later on. And what Paul does, he, he, he jumps into a, a pagan Roman practice, but he pulls something out of it to help them better understand. And what he's saying to them, listen, is when we've, been, when we've allowed Christ, who, by the way, pursues us all the time relentlessly, but when we allow him to conquer us, he doesn't just knock us down. When we allow him to conquer us, when we allow King Jesus to conquer the areas of our flesh that have risen up against us, when we allow King Jesus to just conquer us as we, and as we fully surrender to him, then we become chained to his chariot. And there's a sweet aroma around us of Christ in our lives. This aroma of Christ is realized by all who come in contact whether you can't fake it you can't produce it it only comes from a surrendered heart if you wanted a synonym for that would be brokenness like Jacob who walked with a limp you see at the point where you're saying God I can't God I can't but you can and you always said you would and I'm willing to surrender to you fully and there's an aroma to a surrendered life that everybody around us senses he says in verse 15 for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We've been conquered by King Jesus. We're a sweet fragrance of Christ unto God the Father. God is honored when he looks at us and he sees himself. You know, Dinah gets me this cologne. And I like it. Okay, I wouldn't have gone and gotten it, but Dinah gets it. She likes it. So I put it on. Oop. Yeah, right there. Some of you men need to go get some. I've been around you. No, we put this cologne on. And I, I, everywhere I am, not everywhere, but I'm serious, very regularly, somebody will say, who's wearing, and I don't know the name of it, and it's, it, and it's ended up being me every time. It's so, so neat. I was with these two young guys, you know, you know at, a, at a table one day in a restaurant. And the lady, the, the little waitress walks by and she goes, Who's wearing? And I, I said, don't look at me. Look at these two guys, one of these two. And I went home, and sure enough, I was wearing it. It's awesome. A fragrance. That's an external fragrance. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the beautiful fragrance of Christ within a person. We're talking about the divine presence of Christ in us that's mad manifested through us as we're willing to surrender him. When we're conquered, 
by King Jesus. Not that he had to chase us down and conquer us. No, sir. He waits on us to bow before him as we are willing to yield to him with a fragrance in our life. Who is it that gets it? Who is it that understands the Christ life? Well, it's people who do not pursue ministry. They pursue Christ. Ministry pursues them. People around them will be precious to them. They have sensitive relationships to the ones God has placed in front of them. And the world is aware of the Christ that lives in them. But there's one more thing. Finally, we will trust God for the results of his living through us. We don't try to produce them. We're not defeated because of them. William Newell said, to, the, to be disappointed in yourself is to have believed in yourself. I think of that every single week after I've preached or anything else I've done. To be disappointed with yourself, then you must have trusted in yourself. Man will never be able to understand why some respond to Christ in us and the gospel we share and others absolutely reject it. Men cannot understand that. Those who say that they can figure it out have had their education exceed their intelligence because there's one absolute. There is a God, but the other is that we're not him. And we can't understand this. This is God's business. Look what Paul says in verse 16. He says, to the one, an aroma from death to death, and to the, uh, to the other, an aroma from life to life. And then Paul throws up his hands and he says, and who is adequate for these things? Paul couldn't figure it out. We can't determine the effect. All we can be is the vessel. And then God does what he chooses. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit gives the gift. The Lord Jesus gives the ministry. And the God the Father gives the effect. He determines the effect. So I can't be overwhelmed by, by what I think it ought to be. It's, God's, it's in God's hands. Only God can do that. Paul defends the ministry that God has given to them because apparently there have been some skeptics who don't really get, get into what Paul is saying. And so in verse 17 down through chapter 3 and verse 6, he, he defends it. And listen to what he says. He says, For we're not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. In other words, listen, the false teachers that were there in Corinth that were dividing the people were doing it for gain. And the better a speaker was, the more they would charge and, and the people were going to listen to them. Paul said, we're not like them. In fact, that was a criticism of Paul, is that he gave the gospel free. He just, it was, didn't cost them anything to hear it. And that was, <laughs> that was what they were saying against him. In chapter 3, verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do you need as some letters of commendation to you or from you, which was the custom of the day, to get credibility? Paul says, are you kidding me? He, Paul was at Corinth. The church was burst out of his willingness to trust God. And the leader of the synagogue, Crispus, got saved. And the church was born. He said, what are you doing? I have to bring you a letter of credibility? Has the false teachers brought you to this point? He says, you are our letter. I love that. Written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Being manifested that you're a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. See, he got it. He understood Christ had to do it. He had total confidence that God had done that. Then he seals it all by saying, of, by saying that all of his adequacy. Paul says, makes these statements. Well, I didn't write this. He said, all of our adequacy for what he's done, for what God is doing, and for what God will do, 
is not from man, but it's from God. Not in any way can, can Paul take any credit for it. He says in verse 5, not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, our adequacies of God. He says in verse 6, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. That's the covenant of grace. That's the covenant of, 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 that Christ brings to us. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so this morning as we start this little journey of understanding do the Christ life, do we, do we get it? Do we get it? So many times I, I can know something in my head, turn right around and act as if I didn't even understand it. Are we enjoying the journey of letting Christ live in us and through us? Are you a letter? Are we a letter written by the Spirit, known and read by all men? Then if that's the case, we're not pursuing ministry. We're pursuing Christ. Ministry is pursuing us. People are precious to us even those that might not agree with us. It says in Romans 12, as far as it's up to you, be at peace with your brother. didn't say they're going to be at peace with you. You make sure your heart's there. The world is aware of Christ in us, but not only that, you trust God. We trust God for the results of Christ living in us. It's not us, and we know it. And so if we're yielded to him, we can trust him to do what he chooses to do. And we do not measure it against what we thought it ought to be. Well, let me sort of wrap it up with this. Many of my stories you've heard, but that's okay. Because they are meaningful. And God puts them on your heart. When I grew up, my hero was my dad. He was my hero. As a matter of fact, I don't know how in the world he put up with me, but he did. He started taking me fishing when I was six years old. <laughs> I would get so excited, I hyper, hyperventilated. Now, I didn't know what that was. I thought I was dying. And Dad took a paper bag and said, breathe through this. <laughs> it settled me down. We'd go trout fishing, man. I'd hear that water rolling through the tops of the hills. And my dad was one of the greatest. He would tie his own flies on the side of the stream, according to that which was hatching. He could tie it right there. And I loved to be with him. We fished in, in Roanoke, Virginia. We fished in Carvin's Cove Lake clear as it could be and deep very difficult lake to fish but every time we'd go we would rent a boat now we'd have to rent a 12 foot because uh we couldn't afford the 14 foot it's two dollars and 50 cents every two feet you add a 16 foot we couldn't afford that so we'd get the 12 foot <laughs> we had a three and a half horsepower firestone motor well that really move you you could hear us for a mile I could walk fast. I could crawl faster than that thing takes you down the lake. We got trolling motors today that you could ski behind. It wasn't anything like that. And, you know, I've always been pretty tall. And I, I'm a little cramped in the front V-bottom uh, boat, and you're in the front of it. There's no room. There is no room. If you're a pygmy from Africa, maybe you could get up there, but there's no room. So I'm trying to straddle that thing. And my daddy, I remember coming into a cove one morning, and the bass were moving. Oh, it just, you know, it just couldn't wait. And my daddy said to me, Wayne, please, for the first time in your life, will you be quiet? Just be quiet. That's all I'm asking. Just be quiet. And I remember, you know, the, the boat turned the wrong way. You didn't have a trolling motor to turn it around, so I had to, I had to throw my leg over the, the second seat. But I forgot that there was a metal tackle box sitting on it, which was open, five shells on each side of the lures in it. And when I did, I kicked it, and it went over in the bottom of the boat, and it sounded like a bomb had gone off. 
it was almost like he just pulled a grenade and flipped it over in there. And I could hear the bass, he's back, let's go, he's back. My daddy was going, 101, 102, 103. Well, when I got into my teenage years and got to kind of the end, end of high school, you know, all the brain cells die when a boy gets about 13. And, and I couldn't wait to get away from home. Man, dear old independent son. I couldn't wait to go off to college. I went to a, a smaller college first year, and I transferred to Mississippi College in Clinton, Mississippi. 26 hours by train from Roanoke, Virginia, where I lived. I remember going down to the train station. I was so excited, just like when I was going fishing. And my mama was hugging me and slobbering all over me and kissing me. And my daddy said, no son of mine is going to kiss me in public. And he shook my hand. Dad never said much about he loved me. But Dad showed it in everything he ever did. And if I had to have a choice, I'd much rather have what my father did. I never questioned his love for me. Got on that train, rode 26 hours. Went early to play football down there. Man, when I was in that dorm, we had air conditioning. I never had air conditioning in my life. Two weeks of that, I was sick as a horse because of the air and the cold air. I, man, I was miserable. I remember the first month I was there, I called home, collect 17 times. Most of the time, we'd get my dad. <laughs> Hello, dear old independent son, how you doing? Is mom there? But in the fall of that year, about November, I had flunked another test. I love college, I just hated class. I flunked another test and I was just miserable, miserable. And I sat down and I missed my dad. I missed, isn't it funny? When you get away from somebody you love, how much you miss them. And I sat down to write him a letter, and I said, Dear Dad. And I said something, and I said, Ah, oh, dear Dad. Uh, finally, I said, Dear Dad, I want you to know how much I love you. And, buddy, it flowed like a river. For three pages front and back, I poured my heart out to him. Put it in an envelope before I had any, any questions about it and sent it. About two weeks later, we didn't have cell phones, so we had that old phone on the wall down the hall. Remember that? If any of you from college... So they called me and said, you got a phone call. I went down and my mama said, Wayne, you'll never understand how much your letter meant to your father. But I did get a glimpse. Five years later, I was still in school. <laughs> I think my best three years was my sophomore year. I was still in school. And uh, I went home one weekend and my dad had been sick. And, and I, it was in November. And I was charging $15 to ride in a Rambler, 1962 Rambler. I could get 100 miles a gallon. It wasn't quite, it was amazing. Gas, the gas wars were 8 to 10 cents a gallon. Can you believe that? Man, I was making a killing, cramming them into that car, taking them home from college. So I got there, and I didn't have time to see my dad. But on Sunday morning, uh, November the 12th of 1967, something happened that changed my life. You see, I was sleeping in the, in the dining room. It was a little 8 by 8 place. It, it had a I don't know, a little seating thing. was wasn't long enough to be a bed. It came to about my knees. That's where I slept because for the last two years of my high school, I slept in the same room with my grandmother. That was difficult to share with my friends. We had twin beds in there, and I'd go to bed at night, and I was just laying there thinking, oh, God, let me go to sleep before she does. Please, Lord, let me go to sleep. So she'd lay back and take those false teeth out and lay them on that little stand beside the bed. And son... She'd lay her head back, and she could crank, buddy. I mean, I mean, it would raise the shingles off the roof. And I would say, oh, God, let me go to sleep. Let me go to sleep. And then I'd have to say, nanny, nanny. I'd say, oh, Lord, let me go to sleep. For two years, when I went up off to college, I'm not sleeping in there anymore. No way. I know this thing's too short. That's okay. So about 6 o'clock on Sunday morning, November the 12th, my mama woke me up, and she said, Wayne, Wayne, Wayne. I said, what? 
something's wrong with dad. And I said, what do you mean? Is he sick? He was just 60 years old. I said, is he sick? I said, oh, Wayne, I think he's dying. I said, oh, come on. I said, he'll be all right. She said, I called the doctor an hour ago, which was probably five minutes. And I remember getting in the car. Back then, the doctor would come to your house, and I passed him and came back. And when I went into the room, he was already there, and that coronary had hit my father, and he had put a needle into his chest. The doctor grabbed me and took me out of the living room. He had been my doctor since I was little. And he said, Wayne, it's probably a good time for you to grow up. But we're going to lose your dad. I said, no, man, we're going to, no. 12 o'clock that day, my dad went on to be with Jesus. My mama was screaming in the hospital. She didn't know what to do. I had to sign those papers, and I still to this day don't know what I signed. Next day, I went down to his office to pick up his things. And as I went in, all the men knew me. He was a manual laborer on a newspaper. My daddy had an eighth grade education. My mama had a fourth grade education. I was the first one in either family to ever even finish high school, much less go on to college. And so I went down and I had a box to put things in. And I picked up his Bible that mama and I had given to him years before. And I went to lay it in a box. And when I did, something fell out of that Bible. Hit the floor. It was an envelope. On the envelope, I looked at the left-hand corner and said, Mississippi College. And I said, it can't be. It's been five years. I opened that thing up and there was the letter I wrote him on that afternoon when I was so discouraged and so despondent. And I asked the guys there, I said, do you know anything about this letter? And they said, Wayne, the only, only thing we know is your daddy read it every single day all, along with his Bible since the day he got it. So I began to understand what it meant to me. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to write God a letter today for sending his son for wretches like you and me, born into sin, for being patient with us once we've received Christ, when we know good and well that we should have said yes to him, but we're so hard-headed we said no. Wouldn't you like to write him a letter and say, God, thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace? I'd love to, but I don't know where we'd send it. Do you know what the Apostle Paul would say to us today so that we might understand the Christ life? He would say, don't write a letter. Be a letter known and read by all men. And if we want to honor him, we say yes to him, and we begin to enter the journey of the Christ life. And people look at us, and they don't see us. They see Christ in us. But it's all about our willingness to reflect Jesus in our life. <laughs>